Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. This show is sponsored in part by Sailrite. Since 1969, Sailrite has been equipping self-sufficient sailors with tools, supplies, and knowledge they need to sew for their boats. This second-generation family business is also the maker of the Sailrite UltraFeed sewing machine. The UltraFeed is a portable, heavy-duty sewing machine that was designed to handle all your maritime sewing projects from sails to covers. At Sailrite, you'll find everything you need to take on your next do-it-yourself project, including fabric, tools, hardware, and even hundreds of free how-to video tutorials. Start your next project at Sailrite.com. That's S-A-I-L-R-I-T-E dot com. Welcome back to the Sailing in the Mediterranean podcast. Hey, I, uh, I still have some openings for this summer. I thought I had somebody that was going to be joining me. Greg from California wrote me a note and said uh, he'd be interested in sailing with me. He wasn't the young buck I was looking for. He was 61 years old, and, uh, and he's a retired uh, nurse, uh, as I recall, nurse practitioner or something like that, or um, something along those lines. But he had the time, uh, and he wanted to come over for the put-in crew, and then he asked if he could stay on for the next crew. I've got uh, Neil Fletcher and I have one more crew. And, and, and I'll, I'm going to tell a story to illustrate the point. Years ago, when I, st- when I had my boat up in the northwest, it was uh, located in Anacortes. In my business, I have to gather assets. I have to find people with money that invest in me and because I'm a registered investment advisor. Now, at the time, I was just a regular stockbroker working for... Uh, what what was then Shearson Lehman Brothers. And one of my first, well, my first multi-million dollar client uh, was located in California. And I'll never forget it. I, I pitched him some ideas. I'd spent about six months pitching him different ideas on investments. And then one day I hit on a specific municipal bond that he wanted. He said, okay, I'll buy some of those. I said, great, send me a check. And then, uh, and then I'll buy some of those for you. He said, okay, I'll get it in the mail to you right now. And so the next day I call him back and says, oh, I'm, thanks, Bill. I'm looking forward to doing some work with you. I'll let you know when the check arrives. He said, do you want to know how much I sent? And I was thinking, oh, five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. said, I sent one, $1.4 million. And he said, if you take care of me, I'll introduce you to my partner that makes me look like peanuts. And he did, and his partner did make him look like peanuts. But he was a real interesting character. And <laughs> I could tell stories about uh, Bill. That's, that was his name, Bill. But nonetheless, as I, as I had my boat up in the Northwest, I always, was always looking for excuses to go sailing. And so one day I invited Bill to go sailing with me. And uh, and he said, "Well, Franz, I I, I don't I, I don't know who I'd take with you." I said, "Well, Bill, I know you have a daughter that's about my age." He said, "Well, I divorced his mother a long time ago in Chicago, and when I when he lived in Chicago, and I really don't know her that well." I said, "Well, this would give you an opportunity to get to know your daughter pretty well if you want to." And he said, "Well, that that's an idea. Let me talk to my daughter, and and I'll." get back to you well turns out he talked to his daughter and she said sure i'll go sailing uh you know it'll give us an opportunity to get together and i met him at the SeaTac airport up in seattle and oh the the body language of his daughter was um well she hated all men she hated her father and she hated uh well she didn't really hate me but you could tell that she had no love for her father and her father had already made her a multimillionaire. He had already given her a bunch of property. He was an industrial real estate and had already given her enough money that she could retire at the age I was at. And I was in my, I think I was in my late thirties at the time. And, and anyway, so we, we rented a car and we headed up to Anacortes and we hopped on the boat and we sailed over to Victoria. But the, uh, the animosity that she expressed uh, in her in her behavior, 
and in her attitude to him, it made it extremely uncomfortable on the boat. And we uh, we sail over to Victoria. We anchor in front of, in the little marine in front of the Empress Hotel. And I'm thinking, well, I got to get off the boat. <laughs> I just don't want to be around him. And uh, and that's what it was like. It was like walking on eggshells around uh, the two of them for the entire trip. Unfortunately, I think it was only uh, three days on the water and two nights on the boat. And that uh, was my worst experience taking a, a, a stranger sailing that I've ever had. I had one other bad experience uh, when I was sailing in Greece with a couple. Uh, they were a, a friend. They were, well, it was a relative of one of my best sailing companions. Uh, they wanted to go with me, and they, they arrived. And they were okay. What I had a problem with them on was uh, they just brought too damn much luggage. And uh, I had to take separate trips in the dinghy just to bring their luggage to the boat. And the boat just does not have enough room for big, big, hard luggage. Anyway, the bottom line is I'm, I can pretty much put up with anybody for about a week. Two weeks is pushing it. Three weeks just doesn't work. But anyway, Greg wanted to be part of the put-in crew. And that put-in crew was basically two weeks long. So that opening is still available. And, but then he wanted to stick around for another week sailing with Neil. And if I knew him, I'd probably say, okay, but I don't. You're a stranger to me, or he's a stranger to me. And I think two weeks with anybody uh, when you're first just getting to know him is pushing the envelope, quite honestly, and three weeks was way beyond what I was willing to commit. So, Greg, I appreciate you looking at joining me, but I just cannot, I'm not willing to put up with anybody for three weeks. You may be the best guy in the world, and if I'd sailed with you already and knew you, uh, I'd, I'd say okay. So I still have that one-person opening with, with uh, Neil, where you'd join me in Patmos and would sail on over to Mykonos uh, by way of Heraclea and Tinos. And I still have the put-in crew open uh, available right now as well. And that would be from, you'd arrive in Bodrum on the morning of July 17th or the day of July 17th. And we are going to do some work in the boatyard. I went over this in my last uh, podcast, so I'm not going to go over it again, but you'd be getting off the boat on July 29th, I have one more opening for an individual to join Neil and I. You'd join us in Patmos on July 31st and get off the boat in um, Mykonos or Tinos, haven't decided yet, on August 4th, both in Greece. I still haven't filled up my ending crew, uh, but I'm but that's a low priority, and I've got some feelers out to some friends, uh, but that might open up. And I'm not sure if that's open or not. So if that's something you're interested in, let me know. But anyway, my top priority now is the put-in crew. So if you're interested in sailing with me, basically we're going to have about six days of water, sailing on the water. The rest of the time is going to be in the boatyard and traveling around Turkey. And Greg had already traveled around Turkey, so that didn't have that much appeal to him. But I, I love Turkey. I really like the Turks, and I like traveling in Turkey. So I don't mind doing a week of land-based travel. I spend two months on the boat, so a week of land-based travel for me is just fine. Anyway, write me, franz1 at medsailor.com, if you're looking to go sailing with me this summer. I reached out to Jeffrey Wedig of um, the Escape Pods podcast. I said, Jeff, why don't you join me, and, and we'll do some podcasts on the boat. He wrote me back, oh, man, I would love to. Unfortunately, I just don't have the time off. I've already scheduled my lousy 120 hours of vacation time, which with 12-hour work days is only really 10 days. I have a week for cruising in the bay in late September, and that's about it. Maybe next year, thanks to the offer. Yeah, it would have been fun to sail with Jeff. I've never met him personally, but we've talked cross-podcasts a little bit. But uh, it would have been fun to sail with Jeff, too. But anyway, Jeff, keep it in mind. Maybe next time around. Hope you're having fun with your podcast. All right. That's sort of uh, all I have to talk about before we get into the interview that I have with Julia Andres. Julia is a, I guess, a climatologist. She never really answered my question in the interview. We, we sort of popped in and popped out of um, 
of service. We did the interview on Skype, and there's sometimes some long pauses uh, because we just did not have the bandwidth to to do it for some periods of time. Pretty good for being on a boat and doing a podcast on Skype from the boat, but there are some technical issues. Just uh, just listen. She has a lot of valuable information. I'm going to try to put some links to it in the show notes today. And without any more ado, let's get on to my interview with Julia Andres. All right, the recorder is running. I'm talking to Julia Andres. Where are you at right now, Julia? Yep. Uh, we are on the island of Syros in a town called Emopolis, um, in the middle of the Cyclades. It's um, it's just to the west of Mykonos. Um, it used to be the um, old capital of the Cyclades, apparently, and it was quite a significant trading uh, port. So it's a really beautiful um, city. It's quite cosmopolitan. Um, yeah, it's, it's our second time that we visited here. Um, the one thing that's a bit of a, a downer about this place is um, the town dock is very busy and very noisy. So I apologize if there's a lot of noise in the background. Um, yeah, it's not, there's not too much we can do about it. I've only been in there one time, and it was really windy and really bumpy, and I tied up against the concrete key uh, right next to the town, and because it was so uncomfortable, I let my crew off to go explore, and I stayed on the boat. So I've never really wandered around that little village, and, but apparently it's 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 quite a uh, delightful little village to to walk around. Now this is uh, on in Lavadi, right, on the town of Lavadi. Um, no, 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 no. We are um, on. I think you're thinking about the island of Skiros. We're on the island of Syros, which. Okay, yeah. I'm on the wrong island. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think so. But you, but you know what? We actually spent um, about six nights in Lavadi. Um, I'm just going to check if that's the right name of it. And, yeah, we absolutely loved it. We had a wonderful time there. Um, so it is a beautiful little town to go exploring in as well. But, um, yeah, we're we're in a town called Amopolis, Um so, Amopoli, um, Amopolis. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that's actually, that's yeah. where I am thinking of. I, and I, I'm just looking, th- I guess there's lots of different names. I'm on Google Earth, and I'm on the island of Syros. And, uh, yeah, that's where I was thinking of. And, yeah, okay, I'm saying Amopoli. And when I was pulling out of that harbor, I had uh, Jeff Shields and Rick Canute with me, uh, two of my friends. And as we were pulling out of that harbor, it was really windy and really bumpy, and a boat with big customs on the side of it said, tie up next to us. And we tied up next to them, and they said, give us your passports and papers. And we gave them our passports and papers, and we're bobbing around out there in the middle of that big bay because it's a commercial harbor. And uh, and they said, okay, um, go over and tie up on the key and come into our office. And I said, Hey, listen, this is really dangerous situation. The winds are uncomfortable. It's going to be dangerous for me to tie up. What's the problem? And, uh, he just grabbed my papers and passports and gave them back to me. He said, Oh, all right, have a good day. And that was about it. I don't know what exactly what he was looking for, but that was my, uh, my experience in that Harbor. Yeah, it is. It can, it is. Um, it's been very rolly in here for us today. We've, um, we've got the boat, quite a way off the um off the town dock which is which is quite difficult for the children getting on and off because because our uh, our passerelle is not is not very long so um we had we had one kid nearly go in the water today but um as as long as there's not too many ferries coming in and out then it it generally tends to be okay i think we've got two ferries coming in this evening and we're going to get a lot of rolling around then but um yeah, it's not too bad at the moment. I don't like it when it rolls around a lot. I um, I've spent I spent a fair bit of time this morning in the ferry. I lost you. There we go. Oh. Ah. I, okay, I'm back now. Something happened. I lost uh, all volume of you for. But anyway, you were saying it's gonna. It's, it's sometimes uncomfortable for you as well. All right. So yes. you you bounced around in in Greece a lot, and I'm uh, I'm heading over on the 15th of July. What's your plans? Do you have any itinerary for the rest of the summer? Or are you just sort of bopping around uh, wherever you decide to go? 
we're going to do a bit of moving around, a bit of bopping around. We do actually, it's, 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 a, it's a summer of visitors for us um, this summer. We've got, um, we're picking up two 12-year-old boys um, next Friday uh, from Mykonos and they're going to spend the month of July with us, which um, my kids are really excited about. Um, and I think we're going to, after that, we're going to head across to the Dodecanese um, and we're going to hopefully try and catch up with you. Um, yeah. So that'd yeah. be nice. Yeah, I know, uh, I know when I look at my schedule, I know Neil Fletcher is sailing with me from uh, Patmos on up to Eraclea and possibly. Uh, and uh, so maybe we'll m- meet up at that point in time sometime. And then I have another crew joining me in Mykonos, and we're going to be heading over to Poros. So there'll be lots of possibilities of catching up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then we will probably we want to spend some time in the Ionian, um, maybe September. But um, we also need to get the boat um, out of the EU. So we're trying to decide whether or not we will do that in Turkey or whether we will um, do that in Albania. So we'll see, we'll see where, where things take us. But for the time being, we're just enjoying Greece. It's been, it's been wonderful. So you're playing the VAT game like I do <laughs> right now then. Yes, that's right. We do. <laughs> All right. Well, the reason I wanted to talk to you, Julie, is I know you have an advanced degree in, uh, I don't know if it's climatology or meteorology or, or what, what, what exactly is your advanced degree in? Well, it's, it's more climatology, but okay. um, there's, there's not too many differences between climatology and meteorology. Um, so one is about what's going to happen tomorrow and and one is sort of about, you know, what will happen this season or this month. So, but, um, but for, for all intents and purposes, I'm the, I'm the weather person on the boat. So that's my job. All right. Well, yeah, I had a, 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 a listener ask, have somebody come on and talk about the weather patterns of the Mediterranean. And I thought, no better person than you, because I know you just got your Ph.D. and you were working with some huge data sets. Yes, that's right. I thought, well, Julie is probably the person to talk to. Have you done a lot of research on the Mediterranean weather patterns yet? Well, most of most of my research was in um, Australia, but um, yes, I, I've done a lot of I've done a lot of research on the weather here in the Mediterranean. I'm quite a conservative sailor. I don't like sailing um, unless the conditions are, you know, exactly how I, how I want them to be. So that means I do do a lot of research so that, so that I can pick and choose the conditions that I want and that I like. So, um, but, it's, you know, it's a very challenging area to, um, to forecast. I mean, I think anyone who sailed in the Mediterranean would, um, would agree with that because cause quite often the forecasts aren't exactly right. And sometimes they can be way off. Uh, we've certainly found days where we were expecting pretty much no wind and we've been sailing in, in 25 knots. And, um, you know, we've also been out when we've expected sort of 15 to 20 knots and had pretty much, pretty much no wind. So um, it's not an exact science, but, um, yes, it's, it is certainly – it is a bit of a challenge in the Mediterranean. But, I mean, there's, there's obviously – certain areas that have pretty consistent weather patterns and we're certainly moving into that in Greece at the moment. I think that in July um, 80% of the wind comes from the north or the northwest so if you're trying to head north you're probably going to be beating into weather but um, it's um, yes it, it can be quite challenging here so I'm not sure what aspects of, of the weather patterns your listeners are interested in um, are they interested in hearing about some of the resources that I use and some of the things that I look out for? Well, or? well if they're not, I am. So let's t- t- tell me about the resources you use, and I'm sure they are as well. Okay. Well, one of the one of the best sites that I use is a site called windy.com. Um, and what it gives you access to is it gives you access to um, – well, it gives you data worldwide, which is wonderful, but um, it gives you access to a whole bunch of um, weather models and some of the most accurate weather models that are out there in terms of um, being able to sort of predict the conditions, uh, particularly in the Mediterranean, but also worldwide. One of those models is called ECMWFS, and that gives you 
uh, data at a resolution of about nine kilometres. So it's gonna, it gives you a really good idea of, of you know, things that are going on, uh, broadly speaking. Um, obviously, it doesn't do very well when it looks at things like channelling between islands um, and it always gets, it always seems to underpredict the, the wind in the, in the Corinth Channel, which always seems to be stronger than, um, than anyone predicts. But, um, but you, and you're going to experience that as well because I understand that you're, you're going to be heading east through the Corinth Channel. Is that right? Right. Uh-huh. I'm going to be heading basically back up to Dubrovnik this year. Ah, okay. Oh, wonderful. But um, so I use, so with ECMWFS, what you get is okay, you get. Okay, so, so I'm, um, on, I'm on the website windy.com right now. Yep. And is, that, yep. is, is there a specific place that I go to the ACMWFS or is that just yep. part so, of it? We, so if you have a look in the, in the bottom corner, the bottom right-hand side corner, there's, there's, um, there's a little button that says ECMWFS and there's one that says GFS. And then one that says NEMS. Can you see those? Oh yeah, I see ECMWF ECMWF nine kilometers. Is that the one you're talking yes. about? Okay. That's the one. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And that's um, this is um, about the most accurate model that's around at the moment. So if you're unsure about you know which model to sort of look at and which model to um, to believe, ECMWFS generally gets it right. But, but not all the time. Looks so, like that's a default because when I opened it up, that was already highlighted. So that looks like that's yeah. probably the default then. Yeah. And some of the things I really love about this model, well, well probably the thing I love the most about this model is it gives you um, information on the waves um, and the direction of the waves and the height of the waves in the Mediterranean, which um, I think they started producing this information about September last year. So... It was really exciting for me when we were sailing in Croatia because um, I don't like it when we have the waves on the beam of the boat and we, we go out and there's not a lot of wind because, you know, then the boat rolls sort of from, you know, gunnel to gunnel. So I love being able to sort of look and, you know, make sure that not just is the wind blowing in the right direction but, you know, are the waves coming from the right direction. And um, this has been great for us in terms of when we've been doing – you know, overnight crossings and, um, you know, longer passages um, in open waters to just, you know, make sure that because obviously having the, the three kids on the boat, we want to make sure that when we go out, you know, we're not going to sort of take them out into, um, you know, conditions that that might not be fun for them. So so this, the wave information, are you, can you see the wave information? Are you looking at the waves I'm, now? I'm looking for it right now and I see, um, I see little arrows. Are you having westerly winds right now? Looks like it's um, westerly showing. If that's what it is, it's little purple arrows, and it's looked like I've got reported wind yeah. right now. Okay, so there we go. Uh, wind and okay, clouds, temperature, rain, waves. There we go. Waves. There yeah. we go. Okay. So if you want to go uh, east right now, um, boy, I can't quite. I guess I have to zoom in on this a little farther. The I can't really tell which direction the waves are going. The waves are uh, coming from the north at the moment. They're just, um, it's not as easy to see the, the direction of the waves, but ah. if you sort of, if you, you probably would, might need to zoom out a little bit to see them. Yeah, they're, I see it. really It's similar. actually like little, little dashes that uh, would represent the white caps you might see in the water. So I, I see now, yeah, they are coming a little bit from the north. They don't yeah. look very high. So, can you get detail, more detail on the, the on the weather? Let's see settings. Maybe it's in the settings. Yeah. Another thing that you can do is if you just click your mouse anywhere on the screen, mm -hmm. um, and it should pop ah. up a little information. It should tell you the direction of the waves, how high they are. So, I think for us at the moment in Amopolis, the waves are coming from um, 340 degrees, so mm -hmm. okay. pretty much from the north. Right. They're a super high um, 0.1 of a meter, and they're coming at a period of two seconds. Is this too rough so, for you? <laughs> I think even <laughs> I would go out in these. <laughs> okay, yeah, all right. So that's, yeah, that's, that's good. So you can put, put it anywhere you want and see what it looks like in that particular area. And I guess that's the same for the wind. If I put it on a point there, oh, we got three... Three knots of wind uh, from 270 degrees, so basically from the west right now. 
So it would yes, be a slow yes. ride downwind to Mykonos right now. That's right, yes. It would take us a while, I suspect. But, um, but I think we're going to enjoy the evening in Immokalis. And then we'll um, – I actually think tomorrow we're going to head across to the island of um, – the one that's just before Mykonos, um, next to Delos. Rinos, Rina, Rina. Yes, that's Rina. right. And mm-hmm. we're going to – we're going to anchor there, and then I think we're going to try and take the um, the dinghy across to Delos because, I, from what I understand, you can't anchor um, at Delos. You well, need to... they've they've told me that, but one time I took a a, a dinghy up from or no, I, I sailed up from another island. I can't remember the name of the island. Let me go and find it. And I went right through that channel where the ruins are in uh, in Delos. And there were a whole bunch of boats anchored over there, a whole bunch of them, just to the south of the, uh, the, the dock. You can't take your dinghy ashore. Well, my thoughts are you can probably take your dinghy there and drop off some people, and then they still have to go through the entrance and pay the, pay the, the fee to go into Delos. But, oh, a ferry's leaving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I told you it was noisy. That's right. So, okay. So you can. Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to. We'll sail up the channel then and we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. So. And, and that's what I read in the pilot that you can't anchor there. But what they say in the pilot and what I saw was two totally different things. So you might want to check it out. Yeah. Yeah, we will. But, um, but we're very interested. Um, it, the children are very excited to sort of see the ancient side of Dallas. So it's, um, it's definitely something that we'll, we'll do one way or the other, whether we take the dinghy or, um, or anchor. We'll, um, we're looking forward to checking that out. We've got some good weather for the next um, five or so days. So we'll, we'll make the most of it. All right. Yeah, I'm zooming in on, uh, on Google Earth right now, and I can see... At least on the image they took there, there were a few boats anchored just south of uh, the dock to Delos. So, yeah, and I, the, the time I went over and visited, I actually paid for a ferry from Mykonos and went over. And so when I actually sailed up there, I thought, well, I guess I could have anchored here and, and taken the dinghy ashore or something like that. So anyway, check it out, find out. So now what about, yeah. now this is this windy, windy.com. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's an app no, it's, it's actually a website. Now, what about apps on your phone? They, Do you have any apps on your phone that you use, download grib files or anything like that? We Yes, I, I do. Um, you can actually, there is an app for Windy, so oh. you can use Windy on your phone, which is great. Um, I also use Predict Wind on my phone. I At this point in time, I don't pay for a subscription because I think the information that they give you without paying is, is, is still pretty good. Um, but I also use, I get my grid files using something called iNavX because that way we can overlay our navigation and our AIS and we can have a look at the weather all in one interface, which, um, which we found to be, to be pretty good. But we are having a few difficulties with it because it does seem to crash every once in a while. So... We we sometimes use it to get on spot, um, and then on occasions where we've actually really sort of needed it, and we've needed the information sort of in a hurry, we have had some issues with iNavX. So I'm not sure whether they're going to update it soon. We we'll hope so because it's actually it's really really handy for us because we actually use um, we don't have a dedicated uh, chart plot or anything like that. We do all our navigation and so forth. Um, using iPhones and iPads. So. What program are you using? Are you using Navionics or something else? Well, we have we use Navionics mainly, okay. and we're trying to get this iNavX to work because because we can then overlay our um, the output from our AIS, and then we can also over... Well, I mean, you can overlay the weather with Navionics, but the thing about iNavX is it will allow you to actually get specific grid files and the reason why that's important obviously is because if we didn't have such good access to data as we do here being able to sort of pinpoint the grid files that you want means you can download you know much smaller files which obviously can be really important if you're you know working on a satellite 
connection or, um, you know, you're working with limited bandwidth. So Inovex is something we're trying to move towards on the boat. But um, it just, when Jack uses it, it works fine. Whenever I start playing with it on the screen, it always, it always crashes. So it could just be me. But, um, but yeah, so we use a combination of Navionics and Inavex um, for our navigation on board. All right. So is that spelled I-N-A-V-I-X? Yes, that's correct. Okay. I'm just searching the uh, Apple App Store and seeing if I can find it here. Okay, search. Okay. N-A-V-I-X, search. There it is. iNavix Sailing, 1990. So does it have the? Uh, so does it have the same charts as Navionics? Is it similar in that regards? It is, yeah. And you, so you buy the app, and then you download the charts. And um, oh dear, the fairy wake just <laughs> sent a water flying off the counter, and it's just smashed all over the floor. <laughs> But, you know, it's good because I'm on a call with you, so I don't have to clean it up. <laughs> I'm sure someone else will have that job. So um, so, so you, you buy the app and then you have – so we've, we've actually got charts, Mediterranean charts for both iNavX and Navionics. Um, I mean, I guess it's good for us to have the, the backup. Yeah, redundancy but, um, is always good. Yeah, we, we, really, we really like Navionics. Yeah, but, um, but we really like the ability to overlay um, – you know, multiple inputs, and and we have not been able to do that with um, with Navionics because it just doesn't take the input from our AIS, um, and it has its own weather. But then you can't choose which weather you want to give Navionics, to my knowledge. Uh, whereas next, you can actually pick you know your weather, and you can download your own grid files. Um, from whichever model you choose, and then and then overlay those, which which I think is a really handy feature of of INFX. So, what grid files do you recommend? Is it the ECM? There's another. Okay. Oh. Go ahead. Um, yes. Oh, sorry. Okay. So, with the ECM WFS, you can get the ECM WFS grid file data, and if I was going to pick a model, then that would definitely be my model of choice. Um, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely, certainly as far as the Mediterranean is concerned, it's, um, yeah, it does a really, really good job. And, um, so far it hasn't let us down. One thing that people do say about the ECM WFS model though, because it provides you with average wind speeds and then obviously you can have wind gust information. Some people feel that WFS overstates um, the gusts, the wind gusts. And enough, we haven't been out in the open sea. It generally gets them pretty spot on. So some people feel it overestimates, but certainly in, in our experience on Vesna, we feel that, um, you know, we sort of look at the ECMWFS wind gusts and we say, well, that's about the maximum we're going to get if we go out today. And it's sort of, you know, that's helped us out quite a lot because it's a nice sort of, it's a nice thing to have, you know, a, an upper limit for the wind and then to sort of decide whether that's something that you're going to be comfortable with. So I think that the wind gusts standpoint, you know, I find it very valuable. Okay. So talk... another thing that they have. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Is, um, they have something called because we got caught last year in the Adriatic. It's not so much a problem here in Greece, but last year in the Adriatic, we got caught in a um, So one thing can get you in the HAPE index, and what that will give you, I'm not sure if you have a site in front of you still now, but what it will give you is it gives you all this information. Okay, you're breaking up a little bit, Julia. Uh, kilojoules. You're breaking up oh. just a little bit. Yeah, and I'm surprised. I'm amazed. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, now it's much better. So, okay. So you were saying, uh, I do have windy.com still up on my screen right now. Is there another screen I should be looking at, too, while we're talking? 
No, no. If you look at Windy, mm -hmm. and then um, if you can see a button on the right-hand side, and it's called Cape Index, and it's got a little cloud with a little lightning bolt. Mm, clouds, temperature, rain, snow, waves, pressure. Show add more layers. I guess I can show add more can layers. Can you see how to yeah, if you add more layers? Mm-hmm. Okay, and I can turn on some layers. And then layers. you should find on the um on that big long list. Oh, there it is. Cape there index. There should be a cape index. Mm -hmm. C A P E index. Yep, I just turned it on. Okay. Yep. Um, um great. And what is it gives you um all these measurements and it's in it's in joules per kilogram. But what it gives you is it gives you an idea of where thunderstorms um, might be likely. And if you if you use the, I, I think if you have a look over Greece at the moment, it's pretty black. Yeah. There isn't much, there's not a lot of um, thunderstorms happening. But if you, if you um, zoom pan out, over yeah. to the Ionian. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see we've got some thunderstorms just north of Pat, and you, Patras. Yeah. See, yeah, yeah. And then if you if you click on it, if you can see anything over a thousand joules on this picture, uh -huh. so if you if you we, we find it really useful because anything over a thousand joules per kilogram of of cape means that area. So because we don't have a radar, you know, we can't spot thunderstorms using a radar. So we um, we sort of come on this and have a look, and um, especially if we're doing a night crossing where we like having good visibility, if if we feel that there's going to be some thunderstorms, then we'll probably sort of rethink rethink whether we do that passage. So this is a really good way to um, to just sort of have a look around and, and see if some thunderstorms are likely. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I like that. Okay. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna actually take a picture of this screenshot and put it in the show notes and uh, and then put links to this. This is great. There we go. All right. It's a really wonderful resource. This, this windy website is um, it's just, I use it every single day. It's definitely my go-to for, for weather. And, um, and, you know, it's free and the app as well is free. So I think that it's... Um, yeah, they deserve a lot of kudos for, for producing it. So, Now, let me ask you a question, because when I sail, I've, I've always just gone in, uh, when I get to a port, I go in to a, a, a taverna with a Wi-Fi uh, service, and I download the grid files into what I'm looking for. Then I can go back to the boat and look at them. But with this, you sort of need, uh, you need, it, uh, you need to have data access to be using this, or, or am I incorrect? You do, yes. Unfortunately, if you have, um, they don't, they don't have an offline mode, which is unfortunate. Um, but I mean, I will frequently go and um, just check the weather in a in an internet cafe, or, or you know, I'll go buy my coffee and um, and you know, log onto the Wi-Fi and just have a look at the weather there. So I sort of, yeah, I sort of do a similar thing, but. Um, yeah, one of the things that, that we seem to use a lot of on Vesna is we do use a lot of data. So we are quite, we are quite heavy users of, um, of data. And I suppose that's probably the biggest drawback of this website is you don't have to, um, to sort of download all results you can from, um, all right, from tell MWFS me. or GFS or going to, I think Lammer is another good one. Okay, tell me how you get your data. Tell tell us how you get your data into your boat because I know you got the AIS that I guess is basically a Wi-Fi uh, repeater, isn't it? Is I, I know when I talked to Jack a while back, he said you had this AIS system that you were going to install in the boat, and it would be basically a Wi-Fi hotspot for the boat. Is that working well? Yeah, no. Well, yes, it does. The AIS <laughs> is working. It's it's a constant battle for us on this boat to, to have enough data. Um, in fact, I think Jack's made about three visits to separate um, mobile phone stores in the last two days to, to try and keep up with the amount of data that we use. But the AIS, um, that is to help us keep track of um, other boats and traffic. 
So we send out, um, it's, it, it's a transponder of sorts, so we send out a signal to the other boats and then we can pick up um, other boat traffic, which is really handy, you know, when you're coming into, um, like you said, places like Amopolis and they have the fast ferries that like to shoot in and out so you can have a bit of a heads up on the ferries when they're coming in. We had hoped that we would be able to use it as a bit of a Wi-Fi hotspot, but it hasn't really worked. Okay, so um, what do you do? How do you how do you get the? Are you on Wi-Fi? Or are you plugged directly in right now? I we use um, we have about five mobile phones on the boat, and each one of them has a data card, and then we will hotspot from those those cards. And I'll so I on my computer at the moment, for example, I'm hotspotting the data from my phone, and so that I'm not. Um, having problems with the connection i've also got another phone that i'm calling you from so we um we just sort of i think we've i think we go through probably 10 sim cards a season <laughs> because we're always replacing them so it's very difficult to to actually phone someone on a number because our numbers are always changing um but but we can get around that, I suppose. But that's how we get our data. It's um, with difficulty, I suppose, is, is the best answer for that. Croatia was very easy, we found, um, to get access to good data. Greece is um, is a bit more of a challenge. Okay. Yeah, and I, I, remember, we we I remember the last time I tried to get a phone card. It used to be really easy in Greece just to go get a SIM card for your phone, but the last time... They said, oh, no, bring up your passport and, and a lot of other documentation to get a SIM card. Is it easier now or is it, is it still about the same difficulty? No, it's, it's pretty difficult. I was actually joking today that if someone was tracking that Jack and I have walked into a phone shop with our passports to request a SIM card, um, you know, we'd probably be on high alert somewhere because um, I think that we've bought SIM cards on about – four different islands and um yes and always giving the passport and of course which has been a big struggle for us to to come to terms with um the shops here in greece they close at two o'clock in the afternoon and i think on some days they don't reopen but then some days of course they reopen again at about seven o'clock in the evening but usually it's about two o'clock in the afternoon that we're like okay right let's go to the shops and do things and um and everyone's closed so We've had difficulties with that a few times. Have you, have you found one service that gives you better data uh, than another? Because I think there's three or four different providers in Greece for for SIM cards and phone cards, right? Yes. We use wind. Um, that seems to be the best for us. All right. Because I know there's – I think there's three other ones too. I mean, or at least two others. But wind you found has given you the best reception then. Yeah, yeah, we've we've found we've had pretty good reception. Um, even, you know, up in the northern Sporades, we had pretty good reception. Um, interestingly enough, the, the one of the spots that we had the worst reception was when we were actually in a marina waiting for some parts um, close to Athens. We were in Olympic Marina waiting for some parts for our windlass, and uh, and we had terrible connection. So, so we spent a lot of time in the cafe there using their using their data so <laughs> all right so there's always there's always a workaround so let's talk so we know the predominant weather pattern in the uh, in the aegean is going to be the meltimi winds in the summer which are out of the north but also when i've been over there early in like may you tend to get some southerlies and sometimes those southerlies can be pretty nasty do, do, have you noticed that at all yes we have we've had some um some quite um Strong southerly blows. I mean, I think what happens in Greece and, you know, pretty much through the Mediterranean generally in May is um, it, it's, it's very much a transition period between the winter weather patterns and then, of course, moving into the summer weather patterns. So what you have is you have these – because the difference between your summer and your winter weather patterns is pretty much – the position of the Azores high out in the Atlantic Ocean. And as you go from winter to summer, the Azores high will move further north. And um, 
what happens as it's sort of, you know, starting its move to the north? I lost these you. storms that'll come from the Atlantic. You got me? Yep, got you. I lost you for a few seconds there, though. So you were okay. just saying, so as this... it starts to move to the north, that's where I lost you for a second. Okay, so as the Azores High sort of moves um, moves northward, what it does is it sort of locks these low-pressure storms, these storms coming through in the Mediterranean. But in May, what you still get is you will still get, you know, one or two systems that will sneak through. And they're obviously quite a bit weaker than they would be, you know, right in the middle of winter. But they generally tend to sort of come through. They'll, you'll have sort of lower pressure throughout the Mediterranean. And then you'll have these little spots where you'll get um, sort of cyclogenesis. So you'll get these, um, these depressions forming. And, you know, one of the favourite spots for these depressions to form is um, one of them's near Genoa in Italy and another one is, um, is in the Ionian Sea. And as they form in the Ionian Sea, they'll sort of push up into the Aegean and, and, you know, give you those strong southerlies that you get. Okay, yeah. But some of those southerlies uh, were pretty nasty. When I was early down in uh, – I was heading down to Crete and I got caught in a really, really bad southerly and just had to basically abandon where I was at and go over to another island that was an abandoned island. I mean, it was an empty island, but it had a great, great little harbor that was protected all around. So, yeah, so you're having lots of fun with weather. Now, what about the Adriatic? Are there some specific weather patterns that you saw in the Adriatic? Well, the big thing that we, as far as, um, as, far as day-to-day wind, I've, what we found and, and sort of what is the general pattern is the Adriatic is much more diverse than um, the Aegean, for example, because obviously the Aegean, it's just, it's generally speaking in the summer, it's from the north. But from the, in the Adriatic, you can usually get wind from pretty much any direction. Obviously, the, the wind that you need to look out for the most tends to be the Bora wind, which kind of played havoc with our plans um, last summer. It's sort of, we didn't expect it to blow as frequently and, and as, for as long as it did. I think in August, I think we probably lost about, say, 10 days waiting out weather, which um, it sort of just seemed that it was, you know, one sort of strong wind episode back on another. But I think that that was probably on account of the fact that we were sort of right up in the northern Adriatic, which is where where the Bora winds tend to be quite quite strong. So, But once you get down into um, sort of the southern islands, in Croatia and sort of further down into the Dalmatian coast, they generally, well, I would actually have to say we probably motored about 80% of, of the time when we were in the Adriatic. So probably my overwhelming um, opinion of the wind in Croatia is that there's either, there's hardly any or there's too much. <laughs> now let me talk about the Bora. The, the catab- they're the catabatic winds and, 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 and doesn't it work that the closer to shore you are to those very steep mountains in Croatia, that it's basically wind running downhill and then, uh, and then blowing you out to sea? And as you get out to sea, they decrease. Is that correct or not? That's absolutely correct, yes. It's, um, it's, if, you, if you were to sort of have a look at the, the wind patterns um, in the Adriatic when there is a bore blowing, the strongest winds that you get are tucked right up um, in, I think there's a town called Rijeka. I'm going to have a look, see if I can find it. But it's right up, um, sort of tucked in behind the Istrian Peninsula. Rijeka, yes. Mm-hmm. And it looks, um, and there's also some islands. Pretty much all the islands in the northern Croatian archipelago that are closest to the coast, they're the ones that just get, I mean, you know, we sort of saw forecasts where they were going to get 60 knots of wind and, um, and yes, so pretty much the further, the closer you are to those mountains in Croatia, the stronger those winds are going to blow. And then as you, as you come out, you're going to, um, you're going to get sort of lighter winds. So, but they do, they, the, um, Bora winds can actually blow and affect, um, 
the northern Italian coast up there as well. So whilst they do uh, decrease in their strength, they are actually strong enough so that you can actually get borers affecting Venice. And um, we had some friends in Bologna who were affected by by a borer wind um, last August as well. So. Okay, I didn't know they went that far all the way over to Venice then. But, you know, I once drove from uh, Rijeka or Rijeka, or however you pr- want to pronounce it. Uh, I had my boat on one of those islands, wintered out on that one of those islands. Uh, I think I talked to Jack about it. But I went up and picked my family up in um, Zagreb. So I had to rent a car and dro- drive up to Zagreb to pick them up. And right out of Rijeka, you just got switchbacks going up, 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 up. It's very, very steep mountain. And you could tell that they had already built um, basically protection for the cars from the Boras on that, uh, um, on, that, on that switchback going up to the plateau. So, you know, obviously they're dealing with it because it is so strong in that, that one town. You, yes, yes, you're absolutely right. And one of the – I never saw one of these cars, but um, someone told me about them. They have these heavily armoured – I think they must be like a Humvee or something. So they're these big cars, you know, big heavy, and they're armoured. And what they do is if you're driving along those roads and you get stuck in the Bora – you go into one of these tunnels and you wait and they will come in and get you in their big Humvee, which is, I suppose, a, a windproof vehicle. <laughs> so, yes, the winds there are, are very strong. If they have to have rescue cars to rescue people from tunnels, then, um, I mean, we did, I must confess, we sort of stayed, um, the reputation of the area preceded itself, so we stayed well away from there. I'm very cautious when it comes to the weather, so we sort of, um, yes, move past that area. Yeah, I, le- I wintered in Cress one year. That's where I was. It was, uh, and in fact, you visited Cress, and Jack and I were talking about the little town you were you were staying in. So, yeah, that's great. So, what about? I know there's specific weather patterns for um, France, uh, for Spain. I don't know if you've done any research on that yet. You have uh, the Mistral's of in France. You have different. Uh, Every, every area in the Mediterranean has different names for different winds. Yes, the, the Mistral and the Sirocco and there's a Tremonata, I think, and a Levante. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, not, I'm not very good at them at the moment. But one thing, um, one thing I do know is that um, certainly if you're just looking at sort of the summer months, which I suppose is when most people would, um, would do their, their sailing in the Mediterranean, um, the rest of the Mediterranean generally has pretty sort of settled. The only place that you're probably really likely to get sort of gale force winds in the summer in the Mediterranean is, is going to be the Aegean. The likelihood that you're going to come up with sort of, you know, um, extensive, lengthy gale force winds. Well, obviously, um, you have the, the northern Adriatic. But um, most of that western Mediterranean area that you're talking about, France and Spain, um, I think once they get past about March or April, when they have those really strong winds that sort of come down through, um, you know, the French Riviera, and they just sort of hammer, you know, everything in that area. But after about March to April, then I think the weather there becomes quite settled, and you you get you get sort of land breezes that'll sort of dominate in the afternoon, and um, sort of generally I think make the you know reasonably nice um, sailing conditions, but um, probably a bit light winds for some people. Yeah. Good for someone like me. Yeah, you end up uh, motoring a lot. <laughs> so. Yes. Hey, what yes. what is your boat uh, motor at? What's a comfortable speed for your boat? Well, well, we um, last season we could put the boat at sixteen hundred RPM, and we could get six knots. But we have a really dirty hull at the moment, unfortunately. (laughs) And um, now, if we put it at sixteen hundred RPM, we can get about five and a half. So it's um, yeah, five and a half is about what we do. It's We'd like it to be a bit faster, but but 1600 RPM is is really fuel efficient. Um, as soon as you even bump bump it up to say 1800 RPM, then um, you know the the amount of fuel we use 
will almost would almost double and just to get that you know extra half a knot so what we really need to do is we need to get our dive gear on and um and clean the bottom of the boat how old are your um, boys I have a 12-year-old boy, a 10-year-old boy, and an 8-year-old girl. All right. The so two boys, should, the boys should be down there doing it. Come on. Put them to work. <laughs> well, we got, them in, um, we got them scuba diving for the first time yesterday. So um, once, you know, they're fully trained up scuba diving, then really there's no excuses there. They can no, be, just, um, just buy a little hookah for the boat and let them, t- you know, keep them tethered yeah, to the boat. There you there go. You go. Yeah. So that would be fun. That's it's definitely not a job I'm looking forward to, so I'm I'm very happy to sort of pass that one on to them. Yeah, you have a big hole too. I'll get underneath my boat two or three times a year and just go through and wipe off the slime that's accumulating before it gets too far, and uh, it keeps my boat fairly fast if I do that. In fact, I've gotten to the point where I will not let them power wash the bottom of my boat when I pull it out because it just takes off too much of the bottom paint. I figure I look at the water going down there; it's all my bottom paint being flushed down the sewer, so I don't let them do that anymore. But anyway, yeah, yeah. Well, so, we um we made a mistake. La, well, yes, it was a mistake of sorts because we we had the um the bottom painted and we painted over the top of the existing antifoul, and um, unfortunately now it's um it is especially on the keel, it's flaking off a little bit. So I think before the end of the season we're going to have to get the boat lifted and. Um, probably get some more anti-foul. Get, we'll get a proper job done this time, I think. So, Julia, has this lived up to your expectations or more? What, what, I mean, you, you're, you've been out about a year now, and uh, what are your plans? It's been, it's been amazing. It's, it's, it's far exceeded our expectations. The biggest shift is when you realize that when you're on a boat, and when things go wrong, there's not really anyone you can call. It's sort of, you know, you go, you have to solve the problem. And um, when you first realise that, it can be quite daunting. But um, after, it's, it's almost been a year. It's about a week shy of a year. I think about halfway through last season, it was sort of the children and I, I think Jack knew before, but the children and I started to realise that, um, yeah, once you can take that responsibility and know that you can fix anything that, that comes up in the main, it's, um, it's wonderful. It's really satisfying. And as far as how long we're going to do this for, um, I think that the children will determine that. Jack and I love it. We would happily do this for as, as long as we can um, and as long as you know, we can continue to afford it. But it has been a bit lonely for the children. Um, it's really tough to find other people, especially people who, who live aboard or who do long-term cruising, who have children the same age. So um, it can be a bit lonely for them. But fortunately, we've got three of them, so they, they do play together very well. But um, so far, this summer, they've had a great time. They've, they've loved Greece. And, um, yeah, I think that they are pretty committed to the cruising life. Great, great. So that's, I, and I, I've noticed that, too, because a lot of the cruisers out there tend to be old older or retired. So, I mean, it's like they saved up their money and they retired and this was their dream. And, and you don't see as many young people out there. I know when I sailed with my daughters, they're twins. Um, they were each other's best friends. But whenever we found another boat that had kids on them, you know, they were like a beeline over to that boat and making friends with the other kids. But there were not a lot of them. You just did not see a lot of kids out on boats. Yes, that's right. As soon as we find a boat with kids on it, then yes, you know, we are... Yes, we're over there. So, all right. I love your resources you gave. Windy TV, uh, Predict Win, iNavix. Anything else we should cover? I'll put links to it in the show notes. Um, no, I think that they're about the main ones that we use on board Vesna at the moment. All right, and for Data Wind is the one I want to get in Greece because I'll be getting a data card. So you actually get a phone number with it and. Instead of just a dedicated data card, you get a phone with the data plan on it then. Is that how you've done it? Yes. Okay. Yes, we have. And the reason why we do that is because um, that way I can phone the children if I need to sort of speak to them quite easily. But, um, but yeah, I think either you can work, you can do either. But, um, But that's what we do. We have the numbers as well. All right. Thanks, Julie. I look forward to talking to you and meeting you this summer sometime. Yeah, I look forward to it. 
not too long now, a few more weeks. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Got to get a lot of work done before then, though. So I'm, uh, I'm running around right now. That's why you're not hearing as many consistent podcasts right now as I have in the past. So, all right. Thanks a lot, Julia. Thank you. I'll see you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you're looking at possibly sailing with me this summer, write me an email fairly quickly because I head off on July 15th. You, the first crew joins me on um, on the uh, 17th of July in Bodrum, Turkey, and you will get off on the 29th of July in Patmos, Greece. And then I have another opening for one individual from July 31st to the 4th. You join me in Patmos, Greece, and get off in, I haven't decided, Mykonos or Tinos. Anyway, if it's of interest to you, please consider it. If you like this podcast, please give it a positive review in iTunes and consider supporting the podcast through Patreon. Thank you very much. Life is short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing.